0: Welcome back to Creator Talks as we move on to the next 100 episodes. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. My guest this week is Stephanie Cannon, an aspiring writer who is working on many comic books with some very talented artists. Stephanie was a finalist in the Ghost City Competition in 2017 for her work on Boot Hill, a one page comic. Now if you think that's easy, she'll tell you why writing a one page comic is such a challenge. And she's also written others including Plunderer, as well as contributing one of the stories in a comic book anthology, of Bonnie Ailments, a Kickstarter campaign that, as of this recording, was successfully funded. I also talked with Stephanie about a comic book she's currently working on. It's gonna be a graphic novel called Bandera. And she's just about wrapping that up and will be working on finding a publisher for the book. And if there isn't a publisher that is found, then it'll be self-published. That book's art is being handled by David Mims, who's working on Scrimshaw through Alterna Comics. Stephanie's also working on a book with Francesco La Cuenita, who's the artist on Croaked for Alterna Comics. So I really don't have too many concerns about Stephanie finding a publisher for her work. She's teaming up with some really good artists. She writes some very good stories, so I think she won't have any problem. And after listening to this episode, see if you don't agree. We had a great conversation, a lot of fun. There's questions about rest and relaxation. We talk a bit about some of the movies that we've seen lately, and I added another question to my list of rest and relaxation questions. I hope you enjoy them. So, let's get started. My interview now with Stephanie Cannon, here now on Creator Talks. (music) Steph, welcome to Creator Talks.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: I wanted to ask about a few things you like to do outside of comic books. You just finished your 14th half marathon?
1: Yesterday, yeah.
0: <laughs> How do you feel today?
1: I feel pretty good. And the funny thing is, is I've been sick, which is, I'm sure you can kind of tell in my voice a little bit. But, uh, so yesterday wasn't the best race, but I got through it. <laughs> At this point, half marathons are kind of an old hat, which... I know, it probably sounds like nauseous to somebody, but um, I feel good. <laughs> now, where was the race? It was actually in my city, which this is the only race that I do. Pretty much, it's in my city. All the others, I have to kind of travel to, so it was kind of nice. When I was done, I could go straight home. I didn't have to travel or any of that stuff, so it was kind of nice.
0: How are the rest of the runners? How did they hold
1: up? Oh, they're great. We have a really, we actually have a really good running community here. And so I think a lot of them fared better than I did, actually, because I was kind of struggling. I probably shouldn't have ran yesterday, considering how I felt, but it's one of those things where you don't know until you start doing it, and then you're kind of committed. So, But yeah, it was a good turnout, and everybody... Kind of seem to be doing great.
0: I try to run. It doesn't look like running much anymore. <laughs> I mean, in my heyday, har har, <laughs> I ran track for a season. That was it. And I was in pretty good shape. I was not like the other guys on the team who were just fantastic. So I got into running later on as I got older and I did half marathons. I did two, they were in Philadelphia. Just from my experience, because if people are bored by this, hopefully not. There's good stories behind it. Uh, <laughs> my first one, I did okay. I won't talk about times, but I did okay, respectable. And I remember people like drinking coffee before the race, like right there before the. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. So, like about oh five miles in, I saw people pulling off the side of the road and relieving themselves. Oh With, yeah, women too. No shame. Oh, yeah. Just like I gotta go. And you don't care because you're, like, you're so tired. You're like, I don't care. <laughs>
1: you know, you just <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny what happens to you. And I've seen it all. I mean, I've done a lot of races and have ran with groups. And you just kind of turn a blind eye. It's not happening. You don't see anything. <laughs> it's just a runner's code. That's right. <laughs> you're not going to talk about what you've seen.
0: Did they take pictures during the race, professional take pictures of the runners at a certain point?
1: Yeah, they do. Uh, I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> typically, running pictures don't turn out that well. <laughs> but, you know, you got to get them so you can say, hey, look at that, you know, hard thing that I did that day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they would typically take pictures at the 11th mile when you look your worst. Oh, yeah. And the second year, it was uh, it was September, and it was like 80 degrees out. And I was dying. It, was, it had never been so warm you know, at the, at the end of the summer and they took my picture and they sent it to me and I look at it and it's a woman. Oh. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not me. they like, are you sure? I'm like, very sure. It is not me. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, I should <just laughs> probably that. looking at this picture saying, that's not me. Who's this guy? Anyway, never found it. But as far as running goes, do you have a certain training that you do, a regiment leading up to a race?
1: It's kind of different now than it was when I first started because I've been running about five years now consistently I do maybe 20 to 25 miles a week. So I'm kind of always trained up to a half marathon, but to be smart about it, yeah, we do kind of Saturdays are long run days and we gradually increase the miles and then you have kind of a taper week the week before so that you don't kill yourself and aren't injured the week before the race. So it's kind of an easy thing for me. I hate to say that because I know how it sounds, but it's taken me a long time to get to where I'm at. Anything over that, though, I ran one full marathon and I'm training for my next one. And that's real training. That's something that takes commitment and is hard and difficult. And I have to look up a training plan and actually stick to it and do it.
0: I know from experience that the more you run and if you have training like you do 25, 30 miles a week, that eventually you do get into a rhythm and it's not so bad. You know, once you get warmed up, you feel pretty good. But it takes uh, like six to nine months if you're just starting out before you get to that point where you're like, oh, this feels pretty good. I'm looking forward to this. So if people are thinking about starting running, hang in there. Start small. Don't go for the marathon first. Go for the 5K. You know, work up to that. (laughs) And something I tell people, and you probably would agree, is you have to get the right shoe for your foot. Don't just grab a pair of sneakers and say, this will work. You can really mess yourself up if you do that.
1: For life, really. I mean, there's I've heard stories of people that have done that. They just get, you know, cheap running shoes from Target or whatever. And you just, if you're going to be running consistently, you can't do that. And I have always said the most expensive shoes that I own are my running shoes, unfortunately. Or fortunately, however you want to look at it. But it's imperative if you don't want to get injured.
0: Well, it's an investment and it's not just like where I buy them, it's what they are because if I don't know my foot type, there's a simple test. They say, get your feet wet, come out of the shower, step on some paper and see how high your arch is and then you can decide what kind of shoe you need. One time I got a shoe that was just motion control. I don't have flat feet and I had the worst shin splints for like a week. Yeah. So I kept forcing myself to run on them. And I was like, what's wrong with me? And it was just the wrong <laughs> shoe.
1: We actually have a running store here where you can go and they will get you on the treadmill. And they it's this whole science behind it where they look at your gait and how you run and your arch and all of that stuff. And they'll tell you what kind of shoe that you can get. And the good thing is, is you don't even have to buy it there. They'll just tell you this is the type of shoe you need. And then you can just leave and go somewhere else and get them if you wanted to. You don't have to get it there. But um, it is important because you'll mess yourself up. And then people don't want to run. They're like, forget it. <laughs> I got injured. I'm hurting. I don't want to do this.
0: Right. That's good advice. Definitely check with a professional. Make sure you get the right thing. There is some place fairly close to you that looks fantastic. I like the desert. I like hiking. I've been out to California a few times, Death Valley and San Francisco, two very big extremes. But there's some place near you within driving distance, mountains in the background.
1: Yeah. What is that? Well, that's in the foothills. We're in Central California. So we're kind of exactly in the middle in between Los Angeles and San Francisco. So it's literally just the valley. There's nothing really exciting in my actual town. But if you drive about 20 minutes, then you get into the foothills. And even further than that is the mountains where we have, you know, Yosemite and the Sequoias. And so that's a little town called Three Rivers that we like to go to. It has all these little trails. And it's just it's kind of nice because you're not. Way up high in the mountains, where you're up this high elevation and driving this windy road, but you can go 20 minutes and kind of be in nature a little bit. Oh,
0: that's really nice. I'm uh, fairly close to a state park around here, so I, at least I have some spots off road. Not as nice as where you are. It's okay. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not like California. I hope to get out there sometime to see Yosemite. It's on our to do list with the kids at some point when they're old enough to go with us and do that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a must. It's beautiful here and it's kind of nice. You know, not only are we kind of exactly the same amount of driving distance between, you know, LA and San Francisco where there's a lot of stuff to do, but we've got all this stuff that's kind of in our backyard that. Most people don't even realize as they're driving through, (laughs) you know, they just see cows and like a barren landscape and they don't think there's anything here. But if you go up just a little bit, then there's some. it's really, really beautiful. And, you know, some of the stuff you can only see here, there's not anywhere else. I mean, some of the biggest trees in the world are here literally just an hour away. So it's definitely worth seeing.
0: That's why I like going to the West because everything is so different from the East. You know, the plants are different, everything. So to me, it's like a big change just to get on an airplane and then boom, in a few hours, well, a few, seven, eight hours, completely different environment. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: You're a writer. So let's talk a bit about your writing. Where do you draw your strength and support to do your writing? Does some of it come into your mind when you're running?
1: It does, actually. I've written so much in my head as I'm running and then it's one of those things where I have to kind of go home and quickly jot something down. Or sometimes it's something that just sticks in my head. You know, eventually when I get down to sit down and have time to write, then it's just going to happen. I do think a lot about story ideas and plot structure. And I mean, some of those long runs, (laughs) that's a lot of time to think. I do do a lot of it during that time. I'm just always constantly thinking. So I've always got kind of an idea in my head that eventually will need to be written down and expanded upon further.
0: Now, this isn't your full-time gig right now of writing.
1: No. Well, sort of. I stay at home. I take care of my kids. And so when they're in school, that's when I write. When they come home from school, writer's hat comes off, mom hat comes on. So I've got <laughs> okay. I've got a precious few hours during the day that I'm able to do it.
0: Okay. So you do have a full-time job. <laughs> Taking yeah, care oh, of yeah. the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe
1: yeah.
0: me. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Do you hope at some point to do this professionally?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. It's not about necessarily making a ton of money. It's just about getting my work out there for other people to read, gaining some sort of fan base that will follow me and hopefully enjoy my work and want to read my other stuff when it comes out and just get my stuff out there for people to read. That's really the goal. However that can happen is trail that I'm on right now.
0: What helps is that you write stories that stick with the person and there are stories And television shows that leave a horrible taste in my mouth sometimes. They really stick with me and just stick in my mind. I can't shake them. (laughs) The writer did a great job, though, because it left a lasting impression. Some stuff I can't unsee it, but I'll never forget it. A couple of examples. There was a comic, Marvel Zombies. Especially just the portrayal of Spider-Man turning into a zombie. Have you read that book, by any chance?
1: I haven't read it, but I have heard about it. So I know enough to know.
0: It's kind of dark humor, but it's kind of tragic, too. Peter eating his wife and his aunt and then realizing what he did and it's just it sticks in your mind but it's a great series and television shows like black mirror oh i've seen a few episodes and i'm like i, I have to take a break <laughs> this is like this is too heavy this is too much
1: <laughs> it's so morally difficult that then you're thinking about it the next day and then the next day after that and you're like they must be doing something right because i'm still thinking about this episode that horrible things happened in
0: how do you find that line that it sticks in people's minds, they're thinking about it the next day, but it's not so much that it turns them off and they don't want to read it? Like some television shows, I just like, I don't even want to go back sometimes. But how do you find that line?
1: There's a definite line, but it's different for everybody. So it's kind of finding what it is for me personally, and then trying to decide, can I go a little bit further than that, than what I'm comfortable with? Or is this, you know, so depraved that just nobody would like it? You never want to go there. But you also kind of want to leave enough of an impression with somebody that they are thinking about it the next day, whether that's good or bad. So for me, kind of my barometer is would I want to read this, first of all, and would it turn me off and would I not want to read the next issue? And then from there, I can kind of gauge whether I can push the limits a little bit more or if I need to pull back.
0: How do you find that? Dark place for some of these stories because you're such a normal person. I mean, like, for example, (laughs) for example, I I think so, but for example, like, I've seen Breaking Bad and I've seen interviews with the producer, the writer, Vince Gilligan. Nice guy, mild mannered. And then the ideas that come out in that show, I'm like, oh my God, how do you come up with that stuff? That is so, so out there. I would have never thought of that. I mean, I know it's kind of hard to pinpoint one or two, but how do you kind of get in that space? to have some of those ideas that go out beyond your personality, what you would do beyond your behavior.
1: Well, I think it depends on the setting of the story too. And it's just putting yourself in that place. Mm-hmm. If I'm writing a story that's a post-apocalyptic story, like my graphic novel, Vandera is set in, you have to really think, okay, even though I don't want to think about it, bad things are happening in this world. It's just the nature of the world itself. How far am I willing to take readers into that? Because Some stories will take you all the way where it's super depraved. I mean, Mad Max kind of does it. The road has done it. I don't necessarily wanted to go that far, but I did want to show that this is not the normal world or circumstance that these people are in. And desperation is going to make people do things that they normally wouldn't do. And we need to explore that a little bit and talk about it because to pretend that it wouldn't happen is just kind of... Almost insulting to the reader a little bit because you know it's gonna happen.
0: Well, you like a lot of different genres. You like adventure, horror, western, sci fi action, and I like all those, especially a blend of Western and horror or horror and sci fi. A lot of things appeal to you as a writer, and you have to be open to all kinds of styles. Is there one particular genre that you like particularly, your favorite?
1: I really, really love adventure you know, and even Western too, but I don't want to set a brand for myself necessarily, but if I were to pick one, that's what I'm most comfortable in. I grew up watching, you know, as a kid, Indiana Jones and Star Wars and, you know, Goonies and all these movies were this fantastical setting that these ordinary people or or maybe not even ordinary people are thrust into and becomes this big adventure. And so I really love exploring that kind of story. And I definitely want to do more of that, but I also want to show that I have range and I'm not just kind of pigeonholing myself to one genre, but that is the genre that I really love to write in.
0: And the other side of the coin. Now, as a writer, as you said, you're open to a lot of different styles. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself. Is there one style or one genre, I should say, that is not your favorite? I mean, you're a professional, you'll get it done, but is there one that takes a little more effort that's not top of your list?
1: I think the only thing that I can think of that I wouldn't, jump at the chance to write at would be kind of your typical romance not that there's anything wrong with that genre it's not necessarily the type of story that I want to tell I might throw a little bit of that into a story with a bigger setting but just to stay in that one lane probably isn't at the top of my list but I can't say that I wouldn't do it later on either
0: (laughs) of course and you can certainly pull from that and add it to any of your stories let's talk about your body of work you have written and published several short comics now one boot hill was a single page story now that's tough to make a good story and tell everything and get people to have a certain feeling when they read that in one page but it was a finalist in the ghost city competition
1: it was yeah a one-page comic is definitely a challenge i kind of like it though In a way, I don't know if I could do, you know, a lot of them, but I definitely enjoyed writing that one. And I've written a couple others, too. There was a few others that I submitted to the competition. And um, it's a good challenge because the first script that I ever wrote was my graphic novel, and that ended up being 104 pages. And the advice that I kept getting over and over from people was you should really work on shorter content either for anthologies or just to build up your portfolio. Anything that can show that you have range to tell a story, either in a a big scope or real small. And so I went the exact polar opposite to one page. But I really had a lot of fun doing it.
0: And tell me about the artist that worked on that, LaPara.
1: Javi LaPara. Yeah, he's great and now a good friend of mine. Um, And it's funny, I found him. This was... At kind of the beginning of my comic writing, and I wasn't as active on Twitter, I didn't have a lot of exposure to a lot of different artists. And I was part of a Facebook group. It's called Connecting Comic Writers and Artists. And he had posted his work through DeviantArt, which everybody should go and check out his work on DeviantArt. He's Javi Lepara, and he's really, really great. We just gelled really well together. And I sent him the script. And when he sent me back the first pencils, it was just like he just pulled it from my mind. It was just perfect.
0: And another page I saw on your site was Plunderer. That's a one page. Is that going to be more than one page? Or is that you're going to keep that as one page?
1: Uh, I think I'll keep it as one page for right now. I, uh, that was another one that I submitted to Ghost City. And that one was with a pair of artists from Spain, Unai De Zarate and D.C. Alonso. I would love to expand on that idea maybe a little bit Further down the road, I love pirates, and so (laughs) it was kind of a a no-brainer for me to do a a little bit of a pirate story. But um, I I should say never say never. I might expand upon that idea a little bit down the road.
0: Well, what I've seen so far, I really like the artists that you're working with.
1: I mean, I wish I could sing their praises every single day if people would listen, because they have been so great to work with. Their interpretations of my scripts have been perfect. The collaboration process is probably my favorite part of making comics is just sending your script to these artists and that's kind of like your baby you know And <laughs> when they get it right when they send you back that first you know either if it's a thumbnail or pencils or just like even a rough sketch and it looks exactly or just so close to how you wanted it it's such a great feeling
0: You have another one coming up soon, Hexed, and that's also with Jave LaPara. How much longer until that one comes out?
1: (laughs) I don't know what I can say about that one just yet, (laughs) but it will hopefully be very soon.
0: As I said, I love his work, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with for this Hexed comic book.
1: He's great. We work really, really well together, so you will definitely be seeing a lot more with he and I together. By
0: the time this broadcasts it'll be after the campaign but there is a Kickstarter going on Corpus Anthology and as you said you're trying to do more short works and you're going to have a short work in this anthology that's kicking off.
1: Yes that one's going to be around six pages. It's going to be with artist Emily Pearson who is a friend of mine and artist that you know she's getting ready to come out with the wilds right now with a black mask. So it's just kind of like a dream to work with her and be involved in this project and I think it's really, really important, and uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to work on that story with her.
0: And this anthology is a comic about body ailments.
1: Yes, and it's not just physical, but mental as well. It kind of runs the gamut. It could be, I mean, some of the collaborators are doing autobiographical stories. I'm personally not. I'm kind of writing a fictional story, but many are doing kind of stories from their own experiences, I think is really important to kind of show that, you know, we're all in this together. We all suffer from some sort of ailment at some point in our lives, whether it's something minor or major, it really is going to kind of bring to light some of the struggles that we all face day to day.
0: Well, I found the subject matter very interesting, and I jumped on board not only for that, but besides yourself, there's some other creators on there that I've actually had on the show, Chris Sabella. We talked about Cold War, so great writer. Ram V, Paradiso, through Image. And of course, Erica Schultz, she's been on the show. So uh, she's a great writer and a great editor. Yeah, I thought, I have to check this out. And I thought it was a very interesting anthology because hopefully people prepare for the future because eventually their health is going to fail. People don't die healthy, you know. When you're dead, you're not healthy by definition. Part of living is pain and suffering, but we try to minimize that as much as we can. It's just part of being a living organism. You can't get around that. So these stories, I think, will help people be a little more empathetic about those who have either a physical ailment, whether it's something... Life-threatening or just something that's extremely uncomfortable that people aren't aware of or if it's a, a mental problem That is also a challenge for people. Hopefully, it'll generate a little more empathy besides being an entertaining read
1: Yeah, I mean it's kind of unavoidable at some point We all are gonna be faced if we aren't we're gonna have a loved one that is gonna suffer from some sort of ailment At some point in their lives and it's never fun. It's stressful It kind of can throw our lives for a loop and I think that, you know, especially with mental issues, there's a lot of a stigma behind it that we shouldn't talk about it, just, you know, sweep it under the rug and and deal with it yourself. And um, and it can be that way with physical ailments as well. Sometimes, especially with chronic pain, people kind of tend to not take those things seriously, sometimes, or brush it off as the person might just be complaining. And it's so it's really important to kind of bring to light that. Some of these things are are debilitating ailments that people deal with every single day of their lives that affect their lives in ways that we don't even realize.
0: I think people sometimes don't realize that there's a continuum of healthy and unhealthy. It's not like, oh, that person's sick or that person's crazy. It's not on or off in this digital world. That is a analog continuum. There's different extremes, some mild, some very severe. So everyone has some kind of physical pain of some kind or something that they're dealing with. It's just part of being human or or mental, some stress or depression or anxiety to some degree. Daily life can cause some anxiety, you know, I mean, we all deal with this stuff. So hopefully it helps people get away from labels. And, you know, part of it too is, at least in my opinion, is advertising sometimes, and I love advertising, don't get me wrong, but sometimes the message seems to be like, everything's fine use this. It'll be fine. And it doesn't want to talk about the things that we have to ultimately face. Although, you know, I do see a lot more information now about places for a mom, those kind of commercials I see on late night TV about, you know, uh, assisted living. So people at least are starting to think about these things and plan ahead because it's very difficult. For so long, I feel like we've just been told just buy this, you'll be happy. Everything will be fine. Works with comics with me. (laughs) I buy comics and I'm happy. (laughs) But it's it's good to kind of be aware of what's going on and what's coming in that way we can be as prepared as we possibly can be. I don't mean to go on a fun tangent about this. Um, (laughs) I just thought that given the subject matter, it may address some of those things.
1: No, and it's true. And that's kind of why I'm so grateful to Nadia Shamas, who's the curator of this anthology, for having the courage to come forward and say, hey, you know what? I want to talk about this. This is what I suffer from, and I think a lot of other people are suffering from things that should be talked about, and and let's tell the stories behind them. God, I mean, like you were saying, there's so many amazing creators involved in this that are going to tell such great stories that you really can't go wrong. I think everybody's going to be able to relate to it in some way, whether you've been perfectly healthy your whole entire life. If you're lucky enough to say that, then maybe you've had a loved one who hasn't been— Or maybe you've dealt with stress and you can relate to some of the stories that some of the people are going to tell on the the mental ailments side of things. But either way, there should be something in it that everybody can relate to in one way or another and and hopefully will make people feel good and feel better about themselves.
0: Now, I haven't checked lately. How is the campaign doing as we're speaking now?
1: We're really, really close. We are right around $3,000 left and we have um, seven days left of the campaign. So I feel really good about it. Nadia has worked so, so hard to promote this thing and kind of get the word out. And there's a lot of really great Kickstarter rewards involved that a lot of the creators have graciously put forward. So there's a million reasons why you would want to, you know, hopefully go to the Kickstarter and, and support it. But we're really, really close, and so I feel good about it. think we're going to make it.
0: Well, at the conclusion of our interview on the podcast, I will put an update so folks know how everything turned out and I also feel very positive about it. Usually, the last week, you see another bump in people making contributions and jumping on board, so you know we'll just keep pushing with the social media and hopefully a few more people find out about it.
1: Kickstarters always have kind of the middle you know midway through there's kind of like a slump and even though we experienced that to some degree, I feel like it was still always. You know, every time I checked it, there's still a little bit more, a little bit more. And um, there are hundreds of backers. So I just, uh, we're so appreciative of everybody's support.
0: You're working on a lot of different projects right now. You seem to be a person that writes multiple stories at once. You have Bandera coming up. This is a post-apocalyptic Western graphic novel. And I've seen the concept designs in the first few pages. Again, kudos. It looks great. Tell me a bit more about the book.
1: It's set 10 months or so after an unknown sickness. I don't really go into a lot of the reasons for the apocalypse because it doesn't necessarily pertain to the story itself, but you'll know that there's a sickness that's wiped out a large amount of humanity. There's survivors that are struggling at this point 10 months down the road. Uh, the main character is named James, set in Texas. He has one goal. His goal is to find a final resting place for his late wife's ashes. That's the only thing he cares about. He's kind of just plodding through his days, trying to survive and find what in his mind is the perfect place to lay her to rest. And he ends up meeting some people, some fellow survivors that are on their way to a town that's actually a real town in Texas (laughs) called Bandera. And they feel that it is kind of the key to survival and rebuilding mankind. And he... Besides that, this is also a great place for him to go to bury his wife's ashes. And so they set off together and obviously run into some trouble along the way.
0: (laughs) So this is a graphic novel. About how long do you think that's going to be?
1: It's 104 pages. We're in the art and lettering production phase as we speak. So that's kind of a long process. But, you know, we have deadlines set in place. And the goal is to have it done completely later this year.
0: And the artist. David Mims. He works on Scrimshaw through Alterna Comics.
1: Yes, he is. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm a huge fan of Alterna. And when I saw his work, I actually ended up seeing his work on something that was other than Scrimshaw. He has a very unique style. So once you've seen it, it's really easy to recognize it. I had reached out to him, not even knowing that that was, you know, the artist for the, the series from this publisher that I love already. So it was kind of happenstance that, you know, that he was available and his style is perfect for this type of story so I was really lucky to have found him
0: yeah no I was excited to see that because I read scrimshaw that's on my pull list and I say this as a compliment to him and anybody I say the art looks like doesn't mean I think someone's aping someone else's art that's just my clumsy way of saying oh it reminds me of this so his artwork has always reminded me of Willis Portacio in a way because of the sketchiness of it have you ever seen Willis's work on some of the early x-men why I say early the 90s x-men yeah reminds me of that
1: I actually have heard that about his style before from other people, not necessarily that particular artist, but just, oh, it kind of, you know, reminds me of the the early 90s comic style. Very unique. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's just perfect for the setting. And of course, Scrimshaw is also kind of a post-apocalyptic story, too. And so it just lends itself so perfectly to the story. It's one of those things where I don't know if his style would have worked well for maybe Boot Hill or some of my other works. But I can't imagine any other artist doing Bandera other than him.
0: Now, how will this be published? Through whom?
1: Well, I'm still working on the pitching phase, <laughs> so it'll be pitched. I've got kind of a long list of publishers I want to pitch it to, and if it doesn't get picked up, then it'll be self published and we'll do the Kickstarter route.
0: And something else I saw, you're planning something with Francesco La Quinta?
1: La Quinta, yes. He's so great. And he's, I mean, if you're going to do a horror comic, Francesco is kind of who you want to do it. Horror was kind of a style that I wanted to get into. And then I ended up doing like three horror anthologies in a row. He's so great to work with. He's got a lot of things that he's involved in right now, too, I think. But um, that is a submission that we are going to be pitching.
0: Now, if I have my information correct, he worked on Croat.
1: yeah with cody Souza. yeah through alterna
0: i read that one too so <laughs> yeah i read a lot of their books also
1: <laughs> well and that, that's kind of how i first knew about him was through croak like i said i love alterna i love cody and uh seeing francesco's work on that i, I knew it was kind of those things where you look and you just pinpoint it in your head and go i want to work with that artist someday and i know when the comic comes up it'll be perfect for them i'm going to reach out to them and so that's kind of what I did with Francesco. I said, I'm going to work with him someday on something and it'll be horror. I know it will be. And so it just kind of worked out well that he was available and able to do this with me. And so, yeah.
0: Now, I don't know what the story is about. I squinted and I thought I saw like a prop airplane, some snow. <laughs> that's all I know. Nothing else. I don't know if you want to share anything else. I don't know if I've shared too much, but.
1: Oh, no, no, no. It sets on a. Air Force Base kind of off the coast of Alaska in the Aleutian Islands, very isolated, and it's uh, two airmen out kind of taking a smoke break, talking about how horrible the conditions are, (laughs) how boring it is when this plane comes in and crashes and they go to investigate it. From there, things get kind of scary.
0: Okay, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) What other irons do you have in the fire? Anything else you're working
1: on you can share? I've got a couple other anthologies that I have been working on. One is called Rum Row, and it is by a uh, writer by the name of Andrew Maxwell. And he kind of, that's his own world and setting. He kind of had his own comics set in this world and decided that he was going to do an anthology to kind of tell the stories of other things that were happening in the world that didn't kind of pertain to the main characters. And so he reached out to me and I loved the idea and the concept. I've got a story with that. And I think that'll be available later this year, I think. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. But I had a lot lot of fun and it was way out of my wheelhouse of what I normally write. So it was a lot of fun working on that. And then I am part of, I'm not entirely sure everything I can say about it at this point, but I'm part of the Death of the Horror Anthology, which was on Kickstarter earlier this year last year i guess failed but we are pushing on (laughs) to uh get the book made
0: never give up i've seen kickstarters fail that the second time around they did fine they made it so yeah don't let the first one ever stop you
1: (laughs) that's really good advice i've seen people go at it a couple weeks later after it failed and they are able to fund it just by kind of changing a few things around. So yeah, don't ever give up if you have a failed Kickstarter. That's definitely not where the story ends.
0: There's no shame in failing. It's just not learning from it. If you learn from it, you can do better the next time.
1: Exactly. And sometimes you end up better off (laughs) than you would have been the first time around. Sometimes a different opportunity comes across and always ends up working out one way or another.
0: Absolutely. Well, you're very busy. And so we segue into my fun questions, rest and relaxation. When do you find time to rest and relax and what do you do
1: i don't get it very much obviously you know, i just talked about running and all this time I spent writing but rest and relaxation is going to be with my family that could just be like we were talking earlier going up into the foothills and getting into nature a little bit i try to play video games i don't have a lot of time for that as i used to but <laughs> <laughs> sadly unfortunately but i do have a couple of games that I'll play with some of my buddies about once a week. even if it's just for an hour. It's better than nothing. <laughs> I
0: don't play video games, but my son plays Minecraft. He's crazy about it. So he says, Daddy, I have a test for you. He's six. I'm like, Okay. I want you to build something. See, here's how you set it up. I'm like, okay, well, I don't um, how do you how do you like break apart some of these things? How do you undo what you did? <laughs> well you can do that because this isn't in game mode. This is creative mode. And you can right click on this and I'm like, Oh my God, Like he you knows so much oh. about it.
1: That is so me and my well both of my kids. I have an 11 year old daughter and an eight year old son, and they both love Minecraft. But my son is really into Minecraft. It's the same thing. He wants me to play with him, and I'm always asking him. I'm like, wait, wait, how do you do this? Wait, how do you? And and I'll I'll learn it, but then you know we'll go like a few weeks without playing, and then I forget it all over again, and he has to teach me. I know. (laughs) But he can do anything on that game, and he'll look up tutorials and how to build all these crazy things and we've got like this whole world that we've created and we each all have our own houses and he knows how to do all this stuff to put in the house to decorate it. And I just like, here, you just do it for me. He's so much better at it than I am.
0: Yes, he is obsessed. He does use YouTube to look up how to do things and learns them, which is very good. And he likes to make his own videos. He does not post them, I won't let him, but he does make videos of himself playing the game like the people he watches on YouTube playing the game. And he also subscribes to them through my ID. So I get all these emails about the latest Minecraft video. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I can, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> but, you know, it's good in a way. I feel like it's actually a really great game. There's got to be some sort of, you know, spatial and problem solving. For me, he's not running around shooting people, you know, in a, yeah. in a game somewhere. And I'm good with the Minecraft
0: No, me too. I think it is good for their creativity, and I think it does help them solve problems. Figuring how to work it helps them solve problems, so I like the way he's investigating these things himself. Now, you know the next question because you've heard the show. You're stuck on a deserted island. What is the one book that you want to have with you?
1: I've actually been thinking about this one because I want to say Long Halloween, which is my favorite graphic novel of all time. Because that's my favorite. So, of course, I'd want to read it. But I feel like it'd be a smarter thing to say, like, The Martian or Swiss Family Robinson. (laughs) Something where, spoiler alert, but if he can figure out how to get off of Mars, then maybe I can figure out how to get off the island. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like something that could lend itself a little bit better to my survival would probably be the better answer.
0: <laughs> Understood. Well, it is hypothetical, so you you could pick something fun like Long Halloween. Uh, is that Jeff Loeb wrote that?
1: Yeah, and I'm a huge, huge Jeff Loeb fan.
0: That is a good choice, very good choice for a book. Speaking of movies, have you seen any movies lately that you really enjoyed?
1: Oh, well, we saw Black Panther last weekend and loved it. You know, if I sat down and really thought about it, I could name off a few issues that I had with it. But I just, I absolutely loved it. I'm with everybody else. I'm in love with it. I can't wait to go see it again. It was really, really good.
0: Yeah, we saw it last weekend too. Myself, my wife, and my six-year-old. I have a -a one-and-a-half-year-old. He's too young for that, just being patient that long. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, no, the six-year-old did really well with it. And I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I saw this weekend, since you like action and adventure, Jumanji.
1: Yeah, we did. We saw that too. I actually really liked it.
0: I was surprised. I did like it too.
1: We took the kids. It's one of those movies where you just kind of have to go, I'm just going to take off my thinking hat today, and I'm just going to sit and enjoy this movie. It's a fun movie with a cool setting, and if you go in with that, you're going to enjoy it. The kids loved it. We liked it. It was a lot of fun. It's
0: a good, fun popcorn movie, and I will admit, and I didn't tell my wife this towards the end, and I won't say what it was, but I started to get like a little tear I did, too. Did you know know exactly exactly what I'm talking about? Yes. And I was like, like, keep it together. Keep it together. Breathe. Breathe.
1: That is the last movie that I ever thought that I would feel emotional about, but I know exactly what scene you're talking about. And it got to me, too. Sometimes, you know, going in, like, we went to see um, the Pixar movie Coco, and that I... That movie's ridiculous. It was those. That's one of those movies where you don't even want to get up out of the theater and go walk out because everybody knows you've been crying. (laughs) But but, you you just want like a few minutes to just sit there and compose yourself, right? Right. But I wasn't expecting that with Jumanji. (laughs) I
0: did not. And that one line came. I was like, oh no, oh, (laughs) that's great. Now. Your beverage of choice, what would that be when you're resting and relaxing?
1: I'm a total beer girl. I mean, I'm pretty easy. If I'm going to have a go-to beverage, it's going to be beer. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Is there a particular kind you like? Is it lager, Pilsner, IPA? Um,
1: I like lagers. I really like uh, Heffenweizen, so you know, Blue Moon and, and those types of things. In my area of California, we have a lot of access to Mexican beers, which are really good. I really love. There's something about getting that mexican beer with the salt and the lime it's just it's really good
0: well as we speak uh, my executive co-producer mrs calloway is working on tonight's dinner and she was going to make mussels and she says i'm going to you know add some beer to it i said not one of my beers hold on (laughs) let me go out and buy beer for cooking don't grab one of mine because i like beer too and it's like you know ipa something pretty nice and i'm like no no don't throw that in the pot Let let me get you something that's fine but don't sacrifice a good bottle. I'm very particular about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get a little bit of a cheaper beer, maybe for that kind of thing, yes. or something that you you're okay with sacrificing.
0: Absolutely. Now, if someone were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory?
1: I mean, it's going to sound so, but I would have to go with running shoes. I, I mean, if, I'm gonna, <laughs> if I can run away from, I would love that. You know, I mean, if I'm picturing it. I want like a Laura Croft, let's go all out with the adventure stuff and give me all kinds of cool tools that I can use. But really, if I just have a pair of running shoes, I can just run away. (laughs) Then I don't need all the other stuff.
0: (laughs) That's a good one.
1: (laughs) So maybe that's a little boring, but... (laughs) No, it's
0: all right. Now, one more question. In your room when you were a kid, did you have a particular poster on your wall that you had to have on there? I had posters on my wall when I was in college, when I was in in my house. Like for example, I'll I'll go first. My dad got me a poster of The Fonz, Henry Winkler as The oh Fonz. Yeah, right. So I had <laughs> I had The Fonz on the wall. Later when I got older in college, David Bowie. But back then, The Fonz. Did you have a poster?
1: I was obsessed for a really long time, which will kind of explain the things that I like to write. I love Jurassic Park. I love Jaws. Those are two, still to this day two of my favorite movies. So I had a bunch of movie posters on my wall. and not a normal kid. <laughs> and so that was my thing. Anything that Spielberg did, those were the posters that went up on my wall. I think there was a little bit of time I always kind of wanted to be a writer, but there was a, a little period of time where I wanted to get into movies. That was my big thing. When you walked into my room, that's what you would see. <laughs>
0: Any Raiders of the Lost Ark posters on the wall too?
1: No, but I should have. That would have been really cool. (laughs) But I did watch those movies all the time as a kid, and that shows in some of my writing.
0: I do like those too, and it's been a while since I've seen them, and since I have little ones now, I think they would enjoy them because they haven't seen them yet.
1: Oh, yeah. He's seen
0: Jurassic Park, and I think that scared him a little bit. (laughs) I mean, no wonder. But he hasn't seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark So that one is one he has to see for sure. Those
1: are kind of timeless movies that still – I feel like there's some movies from that time period that you can show kids today that hold up still really well. Because who doesn't love treasure hunting and all all the stuff that goes along with those movies?
0: Yeah, I have all these things lined up for movie night at home. So, um, yeah, I'll keep those in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Steph, it's been a lot of fun. I had a great time and I appreciate you spending so much time talking with me today about your work. And I wish you the best of luck. Anything else you want to add?
1: Yeah, I've got a lot of stuff coming up in the next few months. So you can follow me on Twitter, scannoncomics, or on Instagram at comicwritersteff. And I also have a website that is stephaniecannoncomics.com. Those are easiest ways to kind of keep on track with what I'm working on. I've got a lot of stuff coming out later this year that I can't wait to show people. So um, I really look forward to everybody being able to read them.
0: And folks, if you didn't write that down, I'll put it in the show notes. You can click (laughs) on there and get all the information.
1: Thank you. All right,
0: Steph. Thanks so much for being on Creator Talks.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And here's an update on the Kickstarter corpus. A comic anthology of body ailments. Kickstarted by Nadia Shamus. 825 backers. $30,510. The project was successfully funded. Coming up next week on Creator Talks, an interview with Steve Orlando and Gary Brown. They are collaborating on a comic book called Crude, published by Image Comics. Steve is known for the DC books Midnighter, Justice League of America, and Supergirl. Gary Brown has been the artist on such books as Black Road, The Massive, published through Dark Horse Comics, Five Ghosts, published through Image Comics, Iron Patriot through Marvel, and The Revisionist through Aftershock. Join me next week for another great interview. Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and also on Amazon Echo and Dot devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean, your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and up-and-coming comic creators. Tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show. And to subscribe. The content is free. Just as valued are your comments and feedback. You can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at Creatortalkspod. That's at Creatortalkspod. You can also reach out to me by email. You can find that at my website, creatortalks.com. At the website, you will also find blog posts, reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts and videos and other written articles on the website creatortalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests. It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time...